is what we call worship together, and we are thankful that our Northwest and Espanol brothers and sisters are with us this morning, and we Northwest gather as the body of Christ here to hear the word of the Lord. We are in a series called Christ in All of Scripture. We are attempting, attempting I say the key word, attempting to go through every single book of the Bible seeing a central text and understanding that text as pointing to the whole narrative of Scripture, pointing us to Jesus. Amen? And so it's a beautiful day this morning as we get to the book of Job. And if you've never read this book, it is a very interesting text of Scripture. One of in which can be studied for years and months and days and weeks. And still not grasp the depth of knowledge in which God wants to teach us according to his word. And so in the book of Job, we deal with this problem of suffering. How does God's people suffer? Why do they suffer? There's, there certainly is a reason why God puts the book of Job directly after the book of Proverbs. Last week we looked at the Proverbs as this straightforward truths of wisdom. God basically says if you're wicked, you'll receive judgment, pain, and suffering, and eventually death. And if you follow God's wisdom, you will be blessed. You will have favor of God, and your life will be fruitful. And then comes the book of Job, right? Boy, it's been a great week, though, in, in, in our church, the life of our church. We have had something called Mission OKC, where we've sent out teams throughout the city. That's why we have these t-shirts on. If you are in the service this morning, we would love for you to go and grab a t-shirt directly after the service. They are in what we call the missions hub on your way to the children's area. Go and grab a t-shirt, put it on, because we got a cookout and a block party afterward. We'd love to have you in your t-shirt. But we have teams that went throughout the city doing the work of the Lord. Teams that just prayed at OCU's campus. We've got teams that did car washes, that shared the gospel with each person that came by in their car. And we, we advertised the $1 car wash and we said, you know what, we're giving you a dollar because we want to show God's love to you in a practical way. And people's face and their mind mind is blown when we hand them a dollar at the dollar car wash and we get to share God's love with them. We also had a basketball camp in which we had tons of new families come and invite them to church and invite them to the block party today. We had uh, teams that went to 23rd Street and gave away cookies all across these businesses on 23rd Street. We had people that were um, putting packages together for over 150 teachers throughout the schools right near us and giving away and and writing notes to our teachers. We had teams that were working with sister churches at Olivet and working with them to be able to accomplish the mission of God. What a beautiful weekend. We had people doing, uh, handing out closet in the park. We had, we had people working with Hope Pregnancy Clinic. There is a ton of work being done and it's amazing to see these pictures. Next week we'll show you all the pictures of what God has done, but what a weekend. Praise God 
for you, his church. I, uh, I, I was at a conference this week and I got to hear from a bunch of pastors. And one thing I heard from pastors was they were struggling with their church, with their finances, with their people engaging. And God has given Northwest such blessing. And people who are willing to engage in the mission of God, people willing to give for the mission of God, and what a blessing we are, uh, uh, what a blessing God has given this church um, to us, and to be able to see what God is doing is incredible. But Job shows us that God's He doesn't always work according to the Proverbs. His wisdom is not always, you do this, you're blessed. You don't do this, you're cursed. It's not that way according to his sovereign plan. You see, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts, and so it is with suffering. We may not understand why we are suffering, and yet throughout this book, God calls Job, and he calls us as his church to trust In the one who created the world, who created all things and holds all things together by his great word. To trust in God's wisdom over our circumstance, our feelings, our physical. That's what God's calling us to do in the book of Job. Have you ever asked the question, because when I read the book of Job, I think of myself and I think of a lot of you in here, probably most everyone in here has had a time of suffering. Have you ever asked the question, why God, why did this happen? One of the, the greatest characters of the Bible who God himself extols this man's character and his faith. Job asked the same question. Why did this happen to me? You see, the the book of Job is meant for us to wrestle with and to consider the wisdom of God and the goodness of God. So let's look at the book for a minute. You saw the video earlier, but we're going to recap just a little bit. Maybe you haven't heard it before. Maybe you just need to be reminded of this great text of scripture. There's a gathering in which Satan, the adversary, comes to accuse God's creation of not having faith, being wicked and evil. And Job 1, 8 says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Job is this good man who fears the Lord? Have you considered him, Satan? Then Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house, all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. 
but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and Satan did his bidding. The question that's being asked by Satan is a good question. Is there a true believer in God that walks the face of the earth? Satan then accuses Job of his faith being a sham. Because he has all the blessings, these material blessings. He has all these blessings of God. Does he trust God because he gets all this stuff? Or does he believe in God and fear him because he is God? That's a good question. One that we should really ask of ourselves sometime. If God took everything away, would we still worship him? Let's just take that as a corporate church, for instance. If he took away your best friends in the church, if he took away the people that you loved in the church... What if he took away our nice ancient modern building here? What if he took away your cool pastor? Okay, sorry. <laughs> what if he took away your favorite songs or your favorite worship leaders? What if he took away that which you hold dear in the corporate gathering? Would you still come to worship the God of heaven? If we didn't have these stained glass windows here, would you still worship God? That's what Satan's asking. Will Job still fear the Lord if he doesn't have the hedge of protection over him? Job has a lot of stuff, guys. Job chapter 1 tells us what kind of stuff he has. Job chapter 1 verse 2 says, There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. What a blessing. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, five female, 500 female donkeys, very many servants. And it says so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. He was the greatest. He had the most. He was blessed. And in a day, he loses it all. All that I just mentioned, he lost in one day. A servant runs up to him and says, the oxen and donkeys, they have been stolen by the Sabaeans. I don't know who the Sabaeans are, but they stole his oxen and donkeys. It would be like owning your own business and all the machinery in the factory is gone. It's the equipment he uses. The oxen and the donkeys pull the plow. It's what he uses to make his money, to make his living. It's gone. Then another, another servant comes up right as the other servant has just finished and says, the fire from heaven fell and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone escaped to tell you. So not only his sheep is gone, but his servants. Another way of saying that is your clothing. All the things that you make your clothes from, the wool coat that you wanted, Job, it's gone. 
All your employees that you worked so hard to get and invested in their life so they work hard for you, they're gone too. Then another servant runs up and says, the camels are gone. Guess what? His main transportation now is gone. No more Rolls Royce, no more private jet. He, no, not even a 96 Altima can he drive around. He's got no transportation. It's gone. The whole operation is done. By the way, there was no insurance on any of this either. And probably the hardest thing to hear is as this servant is saying, you, you no longer have these camels to transport your goods and your, your things and yourself. He hears that his ten children are having a party and the tornado comes and the structure collapses and the servant says, all your children are gone. Man, his pride and joy all gone in a day, gone. The hedge of protection removed. Satan takes everything from him in one day, gone. And Job's immediate response is Job chapter 1 verse 20. This is his immediate response to everything being gone. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Satan, you're wrong. God has a man who doesn't have anything that says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Does he have a church that will say the same thing? Does he? We hope so. All right, now, one, we should memorize that statement. But two, God gives incredible strength to people in the immediate moments of their suffering. Does he not? He does. You know, you know that um, some mothers are able to lift cars off of their children because of that immediate moment of strength that they need to, to, to lift the car, God does that in our suffering. He gives us the immediate strength we need in moments of suffering. But the suffering would continue for Job. And this is where it gets hard, right? If you have ever suffered in this room, you know that the immediate strength you have, that first day, the first moment, you can get through it, and then it continues on, and you're like, man, this is going on a long time. I'm getting beat down by my suffering. I don't know if I can make it. And that's what happens with Job. Satan says, you wouldn't let me touch the person of Job. Job 2, 4 through 5, Satan says this, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out you, your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to his face. So Satan says, I took everything. God has, And Job says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. If I touch him and him personally and take all of his health, guess what? He'll curse God to his face. So the Lord hands him over to Satan. 
I, be, I, I think I've, I've been reading this, but I believe this is actually what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 5 when there is a person in the body of Christ in Corinth which is living in, in unrepentant sexual sin. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So in actuality, God is removing the hedge of protection over those in his church who are not representing him. Just like he does with Job here, except Job is representing him. So God removes this hedge of protection from Job over his personal body. But Job is righteous. And he yet he suffers as the wicked ought to suffer. And this is the conflict in the next 35 chapters of the book. Job is righteous. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He, in all of these things, he does not sin, and yet he continues to suffer. Why? The conflict. And then we're introduced to these three friends. So Job's body is covered in sores. He's lost everything. And his three friends come to visit him. What good church members they are, right? They come and they visit Job and his suffering. We can actually learn a lot from, from these three guys. What to do and what not to do, okay? And if you've read this book, a lot of it is what not to do. Helping people in their suffering, what not to do and what to do. So what to do? Verse 11 of chapter 2, they make an appointment together to come and show sympathy and comfort for him. So that is something to do when someone is suffering, to make an appointment, to gather together, to show comfort and sympathy for them. 2.13, this is a great thing to do for his three friends. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. You know what is great, and I've learned this as being a pastor, is when someone is suffering, you just sit with them. Don't talk to them. Don't try and make it right. Don't try and do, uh, 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 tell them that it's going to get better. Just sit with them. Sympathize with them. Keep your mouth shut. But after seven days, guess what? Job opens his mouth and then they open their mouth. They say things like, I know what's going on here, Job. You've sinned against God and thus you're being punished for your sin. I know what's going on here, Job. You're just being disciplined by the Lord and the dialogue is so intense and so long. And at the end, they just go have at it. And they just say, Job, you've done all these things wrong, even though that is completely false. You haven't, you haven't taken care of the widows. You've been harsh to your employees, your servants. You've done all these things wrong, Job. And that's why you're being punished for your sin. 
And Job's response each time is, I haven't done wrong. I don't know why I'm suffering. I haven't done wrong. And he calls his friends worthless help. That's not what we want to be as the church. We don't want to be worthless help. And in the midst of all of this dialogue between him and his friends and trying to go back and forth and trying to realize why is God doing this? What is God doing in this suffering? Why am I suffering? But in Proverbs it says the wicked suffer. So why am I suffering? That's basically Job's argument and his friend's discussion. And in the midst of this suffering and this dialogue, we get to Job chapter 19, verse 21 through 27. And Job declares his trust and his faith in his God. Even if he doesn't understand it. So let's, let's look at this incredible passage of scripture, Job chapter 19, verse 21. If you'll stand with me in reading of God's word, this is what we do at Northwest. Is we believe that this scripture has power. And when we read it, we understand that God is changing our hearts and our minds. He's, he's dealing with our own hearts and our own understanding of who he is. And even Job, who is righteous and a follower of the Lord, has to be corrected at the end of this book. And maybe we need to correct our theology of suffering as well. So let's read this. Job chapter 19, verse 21. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of the God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. And then this statement, for I know that my Redeemer lives and the last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. You can be seated. Father, we ask that this morning that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear of how your relationship to suffering occurs. And what we are to see according to Job in the scriptures, And Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts to understand that you are truly God and that you have given salvation because our Redeemer, my Redeemer lives. Lord, we ask that um, you would help us to see and understand, give grace to our own life that we may follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was telling my wife this, this morning that there's, there's a story that's in, in our American tradition that kind of displays what we're talking about here 
with Job that answers the question, if we didn't have anything, would we still praise and worship and celebrate our God? It's interesting. It's a children's story. It's the story of the Grinch. The Grinch actually thinks that he, if he takes away all the presents from the people in Whoville, the Who's in Whoville, that they will not celebrate Christmas. He actually thinks that, that if he can take all of their stuff, all of the things that they have gathered for Christmas, all their decorations, all their food, all their presents, and he, take them for himself, that the people will not sing about Christmas. And he, even in the story, he anticipates a cry, a wail from the village. And what does he hear? Singing, celebration, the people gathering together again and rejoicing that it is Christmas Day, even though they have nothing, right? All the who's in Whoville singing celebration even without their stuff. So jo- this statement from Job, much to the surprise of Satan, is that I will see God. I will trust that he will redeem me. Literally, that word redeem, buy me back. He will vindicate me and my trust is in him even though I have nothing. Not even my friends, not even my wife. We didn't even get into it. But the wife says, just curse God and die, brother. That's what the wife says. He has absolutely nothing. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives and I will see him one day. You see, the story of Job is not as much about Job as we think. It's really not about us. Our story of suffering is not even about us. The story is setting up the greatest story. The story of the righteous Redeemer who will one day suffer for the unrighteous. Buying them back so that they may cross over from life, from death to life. It's Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Jesus. Death to life. The unright, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous suffers. You see, Job is pointing us to the cross. God is pointing us to the cross in the story of Job. We are deserving of God's judgment, his wrath. We are deserving to take the hedge of protection away because of our sin and rebellion. And yet God has given us grace. He has placed his hedge of protection around his church. And he calls us the children of God. Not because we were good, but because of the blood of the righteous, Jesus Christ, who suffered in our place. 
because of our Redeemer that lives and our hope in His resurrection. That we will see God face to face. Amen? This is an incredible text of Scripture. Let's look at verse 21. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? A lot of whys here, right? But there's one thing he doesn't doubt in this passage. It's that God is in control of his suffering. Hmm. This is our first point this morning. God is sovereign in the midst of suffering. Job has been suffering for what he describes as months. Job calls out for mercy for his friends to understand him. And the friends just cannot understand that the righteous will suffer. And Job tries to prove his point. He says, look, even the evil prosper. Why can't the righteous suffer? But his friends, they have none of it. It's really a prosperity gospel view, a fake gospel view. This book is written to the prosperity gospel of our day against it. Because some, some people falsely proclaim if you obey God, you're blessed. If you don't, you suffer. And his friends have been asking this question. What kind of sins do you have? Because your judgment is so wicked, is so great. What kind of sins, what kind of big sins have you had? But the one thing that his friends and Job can agree on is that God is in control of Job's suffering. No one throughout the entire book questions God's sovereignty over Job's suffering. He says in this passage, the hand of God has touched me. God has pursued me. But Job asked the question, why? Why? Why do you, like God, pursue me? And God answers why at the end of the book. And it would be remiss for me not to say what God says to Job about the why. Why would he allow suffering to Job? Job 38, he says this, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, So the dialogue has gone back and forth from his friends. And then we have another friend who comes on the scene who speaks before the Lord speaks, almost like a John the Baptist before Christ comes, as he speaks truth, and then the Lord speaks. And this is what the Lord says. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or stretched the line upon it. Or what 
on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone or when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy or who shut in the sea with its door when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed have you commanded the morning since your days began or caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it and it goes on and on as God describes his creation he even uses the terms leviathan these Huge created monsters in which he he is the one in charge of them. In essence, he doesn't answer Job's why. He answers that I am God. I am the creator God. I hold all things together. I am wisdom itself. In essence, God has plans that we cannot see. His ways are higher than our ways. He sees the big picture. And he looks down from heaven and sees the whole picture. But if you're here this morning and you're reading this or you're hearing this and you're like, but you're not answering the question. You're sidestepping the issue. And if you're here this morning and you're in the midst of a great suffering, you're really like, I don't feel like I have any more answers than when I started. I believe the next section is for you. I believe that God has shown us according to his word why the 35 chapters are in the Bible about the argument of whether God would allow the righteous to suffer right here. And Job thinks it's important too. Look what he says in verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. He finds his testimony important, important enough for you to read. And what he says next is the most important statement he will say. He has written this for you. God has inscribed this story of suffering so that you can understand what God is doing in our world. Verse 25. This is Job's declaration. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. This is point number two, which is this. We as the people of God trust in the hope of the gospel in the midst of our suffering. We as the people of God, the church, this is what we do. 
we trust in the hope of the gospel in the midst of our suffering. We trust that God is doing a work just as he did on the cross when we suffer. I believe this is why God allowed the suffering of Job. Because he was pointing us to the ultimate redeemer who would be completely righteous yet take upon himself the suffering of sinners. And I believe that is why God ordains the church to suffer so that we can declare the good news message of the one who did suffer for the unrighteous. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For God, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put in death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. We may be put to death in the flesh. Job certainly was put to death in his flesh. He had nothing. But God made him alive in his spirit to declare the good news of the Redeemer that lives and that one day he would see God. Praise the Lord for that. You see, Job knows that God is his Redeemer. The the word in, in the Hebrew literally means the one who buys back. Someone who's sold into slavery in deep debt. They buy them out of slavery. They buy them back. It's the redemption story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will vindicate him from his suffering. Job has been looking for an advocate. He's been looking for this advocate before God. And now he proclaims that God will be his redeemer. He will be saved from his suffering by God himself. And that is what we see now. Job wasn't able to see that it was Christ who would redeem him from his earthly tent suffering, his bodily suffering. But praise the Lord, we will one day see God face to face because our Redeemer lives. Amen? Exodus chapter 6, God as the Redeemer is the story of the Exodus. As God redeems his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Exodus chapter 6 verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord. Our God is a redeeming God. God put his own people into slavery in Egypt. Why? To show his glory. God put his man Joseph into slavery. Why? So he could show his glory. 
God himself came down to suffer on a cross. Why? To show his glory. Why would he not do the same with his church? Church, we will suffer in this life. Yet God wants to show his glory through our suffering. In his suffering, Job finds hope in the one who will save him through the judgment deserved for sinners. In verse 26, After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. It's the hope of a resurrected body. The hope of his flesh is destroyed, but he gives hope to the resurrection that we find in the resurrection of Christ, that he himself will see God, as Paul writes, face to face. What a truth. Two things. God is glorified amidst righteous suffering because it reflects the gospel. Listen, church, the world sees you living your best life now, following Jesus, and they say, okay, that's nice. But when they see you in suffering and still praising your God, they pause and they say, maybe this God is worth looking at. Just like the story of the Grinch, right? His heart was changed. It grew bigger. Why? He heard the rejoicing of the people in the village through the singing and the celebration, even though they had no presence. And what did he do? He ran down and he joined them, giving back all that had been taken from them. The persecuted church is the fastest growing church in the world. The suffering of God's people produces steadfastness of faith and an undeniable God for people to see. America, at some point, will be the persecuted church. Will we stand when we have nothing? Verse 27, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. Long for the glory of God in eternity in the midst of suffering. This is our third point this morning. Long for the glory of God in eternity in the midst of suffering. Whom I shall see for myself, my eyes shall behold and not another, my heart faints within me. I I don't want to take your suffering lightly. Whatever you are going through, you need people around you to encourage you, to uplift you. But may you see Christ in your suffering. May you see that God's plans are not our plans. May we have the hope of eternal life, that we will be resurrected one day with Christ. This is our verse for the year. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are seen, not not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. James talks about this. James, some commentators believe James is actually the commentary of Job. It says this in James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Martin Luther said there are three ways to handle the Bible and to grow in the grace of God. He says one is meditation on the word, two is supplication or prayer, and three is suffering. And he gets that from Psalm chapter 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. You want to know your God? You endure suffering. This is what Job at the end of the book says. After enduring the suffering, after asking the questions why, after the Lord revealing to him, look, I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. I know way more than you will ever know. Job says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job knows his God because of his suffering. He also knows his Redeemer lives. What a story of finding God's glory in suffering. There are many right now in our church who are suffering. A lot of you are online. And we... We want to walk with you through your suffering. But also, you are walking with us in showing the gospel is real, that our God is true by continuing to live out your faith in your suffering. So don't lose heart, church. Don't lose heart, people of God. If you endure suffering because it is producing in you a steadfastness of faith that you know that your Redeemer lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that we can find God's glory in our suffering through the book of Job. Father, thank you for having Job write these words down that we may hear and understand and increase our faith in our God. When the world says that there is no God because of suffering, you say that is more the reason why there is a God. Because you came to suffer and die for sinners. That the wisdom of God is 
higher than our wisdom, that we may not understand all of these things. And yet the gospel declares that the righteous suffer. So we have hope in our resurrected bodies, even though we live in exile on this earth, we have hope in Christ. Lord, help us to be a church with hope that lives in hope, in glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.